0: to turn to second chronicles and chapter one if we can I'm going to start off by having a bit of a look into the man Solomon who was the uh, uh, the son of King David and became king of Israel um, so we'll just have a look at the start of his uh, when he was ruling and it says in uh, second chronicles 1 and verse 7 it said uh, in that night uh, did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him ask what I shall give thee and Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Uh, now, O Lord God, let my promise, uh, let thy promise be unto David my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And uh, God said unto Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honour nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. Uh, We'll just keep reading for a moment. It says, And Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was at Gibeon, to Jerusalem, from before the tabernacle of the congregation, and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, which he placed in the chariot cities with and with the king at Jerusalem. And uh, this is the verse. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones, and cedar trees made he as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And so, uh, read this fairly recently, and it was just um, been on my mind a little while about Solomon because he was a man uh, who was was given everything. And uh, even before he was given this wisdom and, and knowledge and, and even, I guess, even before he was king, he had a an incredible life. Uh, he was the son of, of King David and he was raised in a time of relative peace, which was pretty unusual for David's lifetime. David had a, a pretty difficult life uh, for most of you, even when he was ruling. But when Solomon was on the scene, um, he it, generally things were, were pretty peaceful. Um, early on, there was one of Solomon's brothers did make an attempt for the throne, but, and that actually made David name Solomon king while David was still king. So his, uh, they, they reigned together for a time. And, uh, and so Solomon's reign was, was basically unchallenged from that, that moment. And, uh, and he then received, uh, so he received a, I guess a proper handover for the throne. Not many kings were, were given that where they, they ruled together with their father and, uh, had, a good King, as as their father, for that matter as well, and then he was commissioned with the task of building the temple of God, but uh, it wasn't like he was just given this task without help because David had done pretty much all of the preparation work for the temple, and Solomon just had to follow the plan. I think David had even organized um, some of the the craftsmen and, and they, had, they had the plans and, and a lot of the materials ready to go, and Solomon just basically came in and, and executed it and uh, and then after that, he was given this opportunity to sorry not after the temple but after this this I guess his life he was born into he was given this opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted and uh he did choose well to his credit he many wouldn't have and uh and but with the knowledge he received he, he also received far more as we read that that the, that the Lord gave Solomon um basically everything and and that became probably probably became his undoing um I was reading this uh, and I couldn't help but compare it with uh, the life that I've had um, just growing up in the Lord and I was brought up in a household of peace, um, in a country of peace for that matter, uh, taught in the ways of the Lord by my parents and encouraged to build a life with the Lord and then eventually given a gift from the Lord which the, was the Holy Spirit and uh, and that's more than just salvation but it's an incredible life in this life um, when we are listening to the first talk, I, I just started comparing that to Jesus. And, and he was born in a nation that was in captivity. Uh, he was in danger of death from a very young age when Herod decided to uh, try and eliminate him. And he was born to die for us. So he, he had a completely different upbringing to both Solomon and myself. Um, we'll go to Ecclesiastes now in chapter 2. And this was written, of course, a little bit later in Solomon's life, but it was written by Solomon, we believe. Um, so Ecclesiastes 2, and it just talks a little bit about what happened in David's, uh, in David, in Solomon's headspace, and, uh, and I guess where his, his motivations and his, his priorities went, and what that did for him. Uh, so in, in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 1, and it just said, I said in mine heart, go to now, and I'll prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. Um, you could also, I guess if you put that into modern day language, it would be, what is the point? Um, and then he said, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I said in my heart to give, a, to give myself, sorry, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good uh, for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. And then, this section was, was w- what I, what really stood out to me the other day. It says, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them and all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great uh, and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces I gat me men-singers and women-singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem, also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired I kept not from them, I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my portion of all my labour. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. So uh, it's an incredible situation that Solomon was put in that he, uh, I guess what, was, what there wasn't much for him to do because Israel were in relative peace. He had all these riches and the nation was flourishing. So he, he went to do these things and he strove after, uh, I guess, accomplishments and, and, and his own pleasure and, and what did it bring him? And, and instead of, uh, I guess an appreciation and, uh, uh, yeah, I guess instead of an appreciation for what he had, all he could see was this, that it was vanity or futility or he was saying, what, what's the point? And, uh, as I was reading it, just kind of struck me that the way Solomon wrote this was there, there's a lot of I statements. I did this, I did that. I got this and I got that. And, um perhaps it's an insight into where Solomon is starting to go wrong in his thinking. And instead of seeing, Each aspect of this as, of his life as a gift from God, uh, he began to see it as his own accomplishments. And when he did that, instead of having this appreciation for the position the Lord had put him in, uh, he did the opposite. And I wondered, because I wanted to talk about appreciation, and I started thinking, well, what's the opposite of appreciation? And I looked up and it's, uh, to disparage something. And, uh, the definition of disparage is to regard or represent as, as being of little worth. And so Solomon did all these things and he, he looked on them and thought, well, what was the point of that? What's the worth to me? Um, we'll go to verse 12. Solomon gets a little bit philosophical here, but we'll, we we'll soldier through. And it says, I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man that, that, do that cometh after the king? Even that which he is, which hath already been done. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. I guess he's saying I, I can, I'm qualified to talk about this thing. And it says, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. So saying uh, the fool and the wise man, I guess they're subject to to time and chance. Uh, Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then said I in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise man uh, more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten, and how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. So he's saying, well, the wise and the fool—they—they they have the same outcome. There's there's only death to look forward to, and and uh, and instead of seeing again his life as this this wonderful gift with blessings upon blessings, and in, instead of Appreciating what it was that the Lord had done for him, he just saw it as as vanity, and and you see, he even talked about hating his own life. And this person who was given this incredible opportunity uh, to be king, to have anything he could wish for, and all he saw was was vanity. Um, and I guess Solomon is an example to us of of how our life is in the Lord on on the one hand, but also how our life would be perhaps if, if every single time we, we prayed for something, we got at that moment because Solomon had, in a, in a, in a type, had every single need of his met and every single want of his met when he was given this wisdom and, and all the other gifts. And, and how quickly did he become unappreciative of those things? And how quickly would we grow unappreciative if we, every time we prayed for something that instantly we, we received it? And, uh, and also that kind of, puts the, the control of our life upon ourselves. If we, every time we prayed for something it happened in, in that moment, how much of a mess would we make of our lives? And how much of a mess did Solomon make with the opportunity he had to, I guess, make a good life for himself and for Israel? And he went completely the opposite direction and ended up marrying all these foreign wives who turned his heart from the Lord and I believe he even offered some of his children as sacrifices and, and all these horrible things how easy is it in our life now to focus on the life that we have now, so the life on this earth, and I guess focus on the the needs that we have and, and the ambitions we might have in this life, and we end up disparaging or not appreciating the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit and the salvation that is to come. Um, I was thinking the other day that uh, even if the only blessing we ever received in this life was the Holy Spirit and all we got from that was the salvation to come, and the eternal life. What an incredible gift that would have been. What an incredible gift that we, that Jesus died for us so that we could have an everlasting life. And even if that was the end of the story for this life and we just were waiting for ourselves to die or for the Lord to return, what a great gift that would be. But on top of that, Jesus suffered for our healings. Um, he suffered for, for our salvation and he suffered for our healings and he directs our lives. And he wants to supply our needs because he wants to be a good father to his children. Um, and sometimes we get caught on these, these needs that perhaps we think God hasn't answered this. And I'm talking to myself as much as anyone. We, we get, we just get stuck in this loop of, of this need that we, we think we, we need. And, uh, we feel like God hasn't answered it. And perhaps he has, perhaps he is answering it in a way we don't know. And then we look back at it later and we go, Oh, praise the Lord that he didn't answer it the way that we wanted. And, uh, and sometimes we, when we get stuck on this, this one need, we lose appreciation for, for one, for the, the other things God's done for us, but also for the, the salvation that is to come, the eternal life that's to come. Um, sometimes I wonder if we'd actually be happier if, if all we received was the Holy Ghost and, and, uh, and that was it and there was no promises for healings or salvation, or, sorry, no promise for healing or any other provision in this life. But, uh, I'm sure I can say for all of us that we're thankful that we do receive incredible gifts in this life. We'll go to Ephesians three and I can, I mentioned a bit about my upbringing. We heard a bit about that in the testimonies today of how appreciative we can be, um, for those of us that were born in this fellowship of what went before and, and the life, lives that our parents built for us when they were spirit filled and, um, and created this, this situation that we could, I guess, live Spiritually like kings that we, we didn't really want for anything spiritually because we grew up in a family that believed in the Lord and, and we were encouraged to seek the Holy Spirit and what an incredible thing that would be. And it's easy growing up in the Lord to see that as, as normal. And I've seen a lot of my friends become so unappreciative of it that something led them away from the Lord. And, and instead of focusing on the Holy Spirit that they'd received, it, something else distracted them. Uh, Ephesians 3 and in verse 14, and it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And it says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend to all saints, uh, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, when you understand something, and Paul's alluding to that here, that his his real desire was that people would comprehend and understand the love and the, the great degree of the love that God showed to us. And when we truly understand something, um, you gain a greater appreciation for it. Um, natural example, if you can understand how something like photosynthesis works, you can look at a plant and you can glorify the Lord for the processes that He put in this plant being able to get nutrients from, from the sun and, uh, well not nutrients, but we can receive things from the sun in order to grow. And, uh, and you can begin to appreciate just the complexity of the plant life, uh, and God's creation. Um, of course you can still appreciate it. You can look at it and see it grow and you can go, wow, God, God made that. But when you understand the way that the inner mechanisms work, then sometimes you get a greater appreciation for it. And I think that's what Paul was talking to: the the more we can comprehend God's love, the more we can appreciate it. Um, verse twenty: it says, "Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the churches uh, in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end." Um, I've read this. Verse a couple of times in talks, and I always say I've I've got a pretty good imagination, and it says that uh he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. My imagination's quite good, so I can think about some pretty incredible things, and yet God can do not just ab- above that, and not just exceedingly above that, but exceeding exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So when we start to appreciate just how incredible God's love is for us, and some, and I think part of that is saying we're never going to fully comprehend it in this life with this brain that we've got, um, we start to appreciate it. Um, we'll go to Romans 5, and there's some ways that we can get a better understanding of God's love, and some of them are obvious, like uh prayer and reading the word and fellowship with our brethren and testimonies, and And the more you you hear testimonies, the more you get reminded of what God's done for you, and it's... It's easy to forget when you've been in the Lord for a number of years, all the miracles that you've received and all the blessings, but as people share their testimonies, the Spirit reminds us of of the things that um, God's done for us. Um, and the more we share, the more we remember as well. Uh, Romans 5 Oh sorry, I was going to say the the less obvious one. Uh, the question was how do we gain a better understanding of God's love? And the less obvious one is suffering. Um, it's probably not something you'd, you'd think of straight away, but We'll read in, in verse one of chapter five, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And, uh, so when we suffer, it, it actually it almost realigns us, I think, and it forces us to look to God and it reminds us of just how feeble we are in this flesh and how much we need God and how much we need His Spirit. And, uh, and the understanding that we have of that, of the, the need for the Spirit, it removes any complacency that we might have. and. And I used to read glorying in tribulations as just uh, putting on a brave face and a positive attitude and and maintaining a positive outlook and and those things things are good um, uh, but it's it's more than that it's recognizing just how important these tribulations are for our humility and for our faith and um some of the times that we've uh i mean talking as a as our family some of the the more difficult times are the times that we've had in our walk in the Lord have been the times when we've been I guess best equipped for them. And it's almost like the Lord builds up your faith or when we build up our own faith to be ready for those times. And, it, and it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it, and you're reminded of those times. And when those times are over, you look back and you've got these things we read about when it talks about patience, experience, hope. And, uh, and you're reminded of those things. And when you're not suffering, you have this incredible, I guess, uh, um, appreciation for, the time you're going through and you see the blessing so much more clearer. We'll go to first Peter now in chapter five. And this was a scripture that came out at a camp I was once at, uh, in Indonesia and, and Pastor William brought out this scripture and I'd only ever read the, I guess the positive part of this scripture. Um, but we'll, we'll read it and, and show what he brought out. So first Peter five and in verse six building a bit of context before we read it, but it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Uh, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, uh, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world." But the God of all grace who has called you, un- uh, sorry, has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And, uh, verse 10, I used to always focus on, I'd, I'd miss that bit that says, after you have suffered for a while. And, and it's easy to read the first part, the God of all grace has called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And then you just skip off that little bit and go, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And, uh, Pastor William read this and, and really emphasized after that you suffer a while and it was like, wow, we actually have to suffer to receive those gifts of being perfected, being strengthened, being established and being settled. And, uh, and, and that's what comes through suffering and it's never pleasant for the moment, but the, the blessings that we receive for it, uh, are incredible. And how much greater are those attributes? being perfected, um, being established, being strengthened and being settled. How much greater are those attributes than the suffering that we receive for a season? And, and those attributes don't leave us. The more we, I guess, the more we, uh, receive those things, uh, it's not like you, you lose your, um, strength, not like you can lose your strength or your perfection or, or your establishment or your, or being settled unless we decide to, to do that. Um, the Lord doesn't take those away from us. We'll quickly touch on 3rd John, so the third epistle of John, and this was an epistle written by, we believe John was a fair bit older at this stage, so maybe in his middle age or um, a bit older, but um, it's this letter unto this man Gaius, and it talks about this this church that he's a part of, and this man Diotrephes, that I'll just quickly touch on him. So 3rd John, and in verse 9, And it says, uh, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Uh, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us us with malicious words, or in the margin it says, talking nonsense, and not content therewith, neither doth he receive the the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Uh, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good." He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil has not seen God. Where it talks about diatrophies, about him prating against us with malicious words, and, uh, in another translation it actually says that he disparages, um, the, the oversight, and, uh, and so he doesn't appreciate the, the wisdom and the teaching of the oversight, and, and I like thinking about this situation where perhaps I don't know, Pastor David's running the church and Pastor John comes to give a talk and Pastor David shuts the door on him and, and says, nope, sorry, you're not allowed to come in. And, and it's, it's a foreign concept to us because we can't imagine it, but that was basically what was happening. John wanted to come and visit and, uh, and Dietrophy said no. And, uh, and not only that, anyone that had anything to do with John, he was putting them out of the church. And, and, uh, we, but we, we have to appreciate the wisdom, uh, of the oversight for number one, but also of our brothers and sisters around us. And, and, uh, if we start to resist the counsel of the saints around us that are, that are walking strongly, it starts to put us in a difficult situation. And you read it in verse 11 where it says, um, he that doeth evil is, has not seen God. And it's talking about a man that was spirit-filled, Diotrephes, and was a leader of the church. Um, and if, if we, if we start to reject the words of the, the, our brethren and the oversight, and, uh, it puts us in a difficult position because, uh, we may even, I mean, they're men and women, and we might be right to reject it for a moment, but if we continue receiving the same counsel and we're rejecting it, then it's it's probably coming from the Lord and from the Spirit. Um, so uh, we need to listen to the our brethren, we need to listen to the oversight, to talks and to the spiritual gifts, and if we start to go in our own direction, it's like what John says, that it's like we've never seen God, it's like we've never understood what we've got, and uh, we always want to appreciate what we've got. Uh, just to finish, we'll go back to Ecclesiastes. Despite Solomon's, I guess you'd call it depression, he was, he was in a pretty bad place when he, when he wrote Ecclesiastes. He actually has a good, uh, conclusion to it. And, uh, so just one verse in Ecclesiastes 12. And, uh, I guess Solomon's the kind of example where you say, uh, do as I say, not as I do, because he, he went off on the, on the, he had a pretty sticky end, um, going off in the wrong way and, and, isn't can't really be regarded as, as a good king for the conclusion of his life, but he did have some some pretty good wisdom, and we can learn from that. And his conclusion in uh, Ecclesiastes 12.13 just says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And uh, and when we fear God and we keep his commandments, it, it becomes easy because we appreciate God and we appreciate the life that he's given to us. And uh, that's what we always want to do. We never want to disparage it. We never want to see it as our own accomplishments uh, because we don't want to get in that position where we're saying, I did this and I did that and there was just no point to it all because we know what's to come. And that's an incredible eternal life with the Lord. Amen.